Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and thank you for joining me for this special edition of Through the Noise. I'm delighted to have with me Professor Raghuram Rajan. Professor Rajan has had many high-profile roles in his distinguished career. He used to be Governor of the Reserve Bank of India and also the IMF's Chief Economist. He correctly predicted the global financial crisis and is an expert on all matters regarding economic and financial policies. He is currently Professor of Finance at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Today we'll be talking about three topics. So the first one is obviously inflation. Uh, Secondly, what are the biggest threats to the global financial system? And then finally, we'll wrap up with a quick discussion about cryptocurrencies. Uh, So Professor Rajan, thank you so much for joining uh, me today. Um, Let's start with inflation. So obviously we've come from a period where inflation was extremely low for a protracted period since the global financial crisis uh, to soaring in recent times. So how do you see this playing out over the coming 12, 18 months? Well, what you're seeing, of course, is high inflation right now. The big question is, uh, have the central banks sort of conveyed enough on what they intend to do that expectations are still contained, that uh, people think inflation will come down, they're not asking for higher wages, we don't get the wage price spiral. This is what the central banks are trying to head off. Uh, And uh, what you're seeing is some of the transitory elements of inflation are coming down. You know, goods prices, some of them that had gotten extremely elevated because there was high demand for them, they're coming off. What we have to see, however, is do the wage demands as a result of both the high inflation as well as the very tight labor markets, do they get contained going forward? And that's really what is going to determine whether this inflation you know, comes down from the eight and a half or, or so that it's in Europe and, and America uh, to six, but then stays at five and six for a longer period of time, or does it come down steadily over the next year? This is a big unknown. I, I would say certainly we're going to see some of, it's not yet peaked, but when it peaks in a couple of months, Uh, we're going to see some fall off over the course of the rest of the year. But then the question is, uh, does it keep falling through the course of next year? Uh, Last point, Europe, there's more chance it'll fall off because more energy inflation is embedded in the current inflation numbers and you get base effects, uh, you know, falling off. And as a result, inflation will come down for that reason, provided there's no fresh energy problem going forward. In the U.S., uh, what you have is more sustained elements like house rent, etc., which will stay in the inflation numbers, keep them high for some time, but the transitory elements will fall off. I know one of the things that you, you, you talk about is that, um, you know, obviously the labor market is critical, but if you're looking at the employment today versus pre-COVID, it's about a, about a million jobs less in the economy today. So what what is creating the shortage in the in the U.S. labor market at the moment? Well, two elements right now. One is, uh, you know, older workers, uh, 64 and above, um, took the pandemic, uh, maybe the, um, you know, the uh, flows, the uh, the high asset prices that were there in the early days of the pandemic to say, enough, I'm done. They've retired. Uh, then some of them are not coming back. 
that's one place where participation rates have fallen somewhat. So that's one. I think the bigger effect uh, that is still persistent is we saw much slower immigration during the pandemic. I mean, both because uh, the borders had gotten tighter, but also uh, people just worried about moving in the pandemic and moving to a new place, et cetera. So uh, now some of that will get rectified. We are seeing pretty high levels of immigration into the U.S. just by the tragedy of, of deaths that are happening uh, as a result of immigration, uh, especially the illegal immigration. So uh, my sense is that will rectify over time. Uh, the people who've retired, maybe if they see their their pensions uh, or their savings fall as a result of the labor market changes, some of them will come back, but I don't think that's that's as big a force. Okay, so I mean, let's, let's move back to the Fed because obviously the, the Fed is extraordinarily focused on inflation at the expense of growth in their own words, right? What do you think it would take for them to pivot back to more balance between growth and inflation? I think ideally they would see um, a slowing, uh, not too much, but uh, a sense that the, uh, you know, that inflation is coming down steadily and that there's enough slack in the labor market that we're not going to get the wage price spiral, that, that people are now worried about their jobs and so they're not going to start demanding high. That would be the soft landing. Uh, more dramatic would be significant job losses. So instead of job growth slowing down to about 100,000 pace, you see two, three hundred, four hundred thousand job losses. Now, if at that same point you also see inflation coming down, sure, the Fed at that point can say we pause. We're going to wait and see because we think we've done much of what is needed, maybe a little too much, but they won't say that. Uh, what is going to be particularly problematic is if you see job losses, but you don't see inflation moderate beyond that initial sort of element which is transitory. And you see that, you know, uh, there are still many tight areas in the labor market. Wages are still the same, even though, you know, some elements are shedding in a big way. So on the whole, the labor market is shedding jobs. That will be the difficult situation where the Fed, you know, on the one hand, doesn't have enough respite from inflation to say pause. On the other hand, we're seeing pretty serious. Uh, and that, that's where, uh, you know, it depends on whether the Fed on, on the whole is dovish or hawkish, at this point we don't know. Uh, the new uh, additions to the Fed um, you know, come under the guise of being somewhat more dovish than the average Fed, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay, um, so let's move on to the, the global financial system. So, um, so ahead of the global financial crisis, you were um, highlighting the risks inherent with the, the, the system, particularly in the financial sector, which obviously was extremely prescient. Um, Obviously, the world's changed a lot since then. So I think, you know, the banks have been forced to reform, whether they would have done it on their own, who knows, but they have been forced to reform. Um, so what are the biggest concerns that you look at in the world today from a financial stability perspective? Um, two or three things. Uh, first, there is there are large parts of the financial system which didn't get the kind of rigorous reevaluation that the commercial banks got, right? Uh, we're talking about the shadow financial system, not just the fact that, you know, we have uh, uh, um, 
you know, the old elements, the pension funds, the, um, the insurance companies and so on. But we have new elements, uh, a lot of private equity getting into lending, for example. Uh, what are these standards there? What is the amount of capital there? And of course, we've got the whole crypto area, which we're going to talk about, which, you know, came out of nowhere and is, you know, largely unregulated, uh, with many structures recreating uh, you know, bank-like structures we've seen uh, have problems. Uh, uh, we've already seen some problems in the crypto area. So shadow financial sector, uh, not as well regulated. Uh, what's the leverage, both implicit as well as explicit? How does that play out? That's one question. Second, we haven't had a period of really strong rising interest rates even as we have slowing economic activity. It, typically, it's been the other way, slowing economic activity, cut interest rates to the bone. So how does this stand up to rising interest rates? Do some of the corporations that have a high leverage now find you know, some of their debt is maturing, they can't roll it over, they, they don't have uh, the ability to service debt? That's, that's question two. Third question, which is the big unknown, is liquidity. You know, we've had plentiful liquidity. The Fed has expanded its balance sheets tremendously. Now, when the Fed shrinks its balance sheet, you think, you know, no big deal. The Fed is selling bonds, taking back reserves. But what happens when that takes place is do the uh, commercial banks reduce their need for liquidity at the same pace as the Fed is reducing the supply of liquidity? And my sense is that doesn't happen automatically. You don't reduce the lines of credit you've written. You don't reduce the demand deposits that you've, you've taken on at the same pace. And so what happens is quite possibly you get liquidity shortages emerging. The Fed can still come back and supply liquidity in a big way, but you know, in a period when you're trying to tighten on all dimensions, uh, you'll be reluctant as the Fed to do that. So the Fed is doing quantitative tightening, then you see suddenly one or two days where liquidity sort of becomes a great need. We saw that in September 2019, for example. I suspect we'll have more episodes of this sort. If that happens when there's other stresses in the system, it could get more complicated than we've seen so far. So that's the third element I would say. Liquidity is a big question. I think from what you're saying, obviously you're talking about unknown unknowns, right? Uh, um, in, in terms of time horizons for these to coalesce, it's, I, I guess it's almost impossible to figure this out. Well, I, I, I think uh, all of these, um, whether it is the shadow financial system, whether it is a stress from higher interest rates, whether it is liquidity, uh, will become much worse if we have an economic downturn. So that's when I get much more worried because you have the combination of stresses in the financial sector with economic, uh, and, and, and when those two to come together, as we saw during the global financial crisis, it creates far more anxiety, far more problems. So, um, you know, if we have a mild recession, it's not going to be as big a deal. If we have a more serious recession, inflation is more persistent, the Fed has to raise rates more, slow down activity more then all these other issues also become front and center. Which then could become, say, fielding until the exactly. Fed does Backs more up. than pivots. It actually U-turns, right? Exactly, U-turns, and then does brings out some of the old instruments, uh, floods the market back with liquidity, stops quantitative tightening, et cetera, et cetera. 
Okay, so I mean, let's, let's move to cryptocurrencies. So uh, regular listeners will know my views in this space, right? So uh, one of my biggest concerns has been the slow and uncoordinated regulatory backdrop. Um, so do you think that regulators have left it too late? You know, the, obviously we've seen a failure of a, of a hedge fund in, this, in the, the crypto space, a failure of or, or collapse of um, so-called stable coins. So how are regulators that you're talking to thinking about this today? Well, I think the problem with any of these instruments is uh, they've grown too big without any regulator assuming responsibility for them, right? I thought the subprime crisis would be a wake-up call. You don't sort of wake up when something is, uh, you know, reached a trillion in size and say, hey, who's looking at this? Um, is it you? Is it me? Is it somebody else? And that's the problem in cryptos, that uh, there's been turf battles on who's... Nobody... I suspect nobody's um, moving forward robustly to say, I'm responsible for this. And uh, as a result, we've, we've you know, got b banks. Uh, as you said, the stable coins are really, you know, at best money market funds, at worst banks. And uh, there's nobody who's a lender of last resort there, but there's also nobody who's checking that they have the assets they claim they have to back their, their liabilities. So walks like a bank, talks like a bank, should be regulated like a bank, and nobody's regulating it. Um, now I think there will be a, a move to do more there. There are also, of course, the, the issue of investments. Uh, who's investing? Uh, do they know enough about these? Now, um, you know, typically for sophisticated investments, you need to pass some tests or you need to have a net worth more than a certain amount. Uh, but cryptos, anybody can invest. And, uh, you know, this is the old problem when you're, um, when the, uh, this seems a little uh, crude now, but when the guy who polishes your shoes tells, gives you stock tips, that's a problem. Well, everybody's giving you crypto tips. And uh, saying if you don't, uh, you know, act on it, uh, you simply are not with it. And a lot of lower-income households have, you know, bought into crypto assets because it seems like, you know, you can actually win the lottery without taking the chances. So, so I, I, I really think uh, a lot of people have already sort of lost out as a result of the $2 trillion fall in crypto assets. And I think the kind of dream that is being sold, uh, you know, regulation-free, um, you know, government bad, private sector good, uh, you know, some of the reality of the crypto is, is simply doesn't match that. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, lots of cartels uh, embedded into some of these cryptos. I mean, it, we, we need a cleanup. Yeah, I must admit, I've had my nephew and my niece here in Singapore trying to educate me in inverted commas about cryptocurrencies. So um, maybe that's a, that, that's part of the challenge, right? I mean, do, in your mind, do cryptocurrencies have a future, a role to play, uh, or maybe the technology blockchain? How do you see it playing out from now? Uh, absolutely. I, I do think they have a role to play, even in payments. Uh, I mean, I think the... the um, hope of them playing a role in crypt in in micropayments uh, certainly in cross-border payments uh, possibly in many within country uh, payments where you don't want to necessarily involve an intermediary but uh, maybe you want smart contracts where you know the code 
can actually do much of the, you know, payment versus delivery, for example. There are lots of places where this can reduce transaction costs. But we have to separate, you know, some of what can be done with some of the overlying rhetoric. Uh, this is a way to get away from big government. No, I mean, yeah, ultimately much of this relies, for example, stable coins on going back into the dollar. Who's maintaining the fiat value of the dollar? It's the big, uh, bad Federal Reserve. Well, so you're not getting away from big government by using the stable coin. Uh, it's there backing the value of what, what you're doing. And you must recognize that has some value. Um, a lot of these cryptos are being sold uh, as payment vehicles. But they're not really structured to do fast payments in a big way. And, and so, you know, many of them are just speculative assets, sometimes speculative assets with no fundamental value. Some of them have the possibility of fundamental value. So I think the shakeout is probably good. Uh, I think it's going to be very damaging for some people, and they're unfortunate. Uh, you have to feel for them. But I also think we need some minimum regulation, not to uh, prevent innovation here, but to make sure that uh, you know, the poor unfortunates who are lured into this kind of investment at just the peak, uh, you know, we, we at least uh, give them a sense of what they're getting into. Yeah, I suppose it's, uh, I was just reading something uh, recently that there was uh, in the football Premier League in England, right, I think 19 out of the 20 Premier League com uh, clubs have some, some uh, aff affiliation with digital assets or cryptocurrencies. You know, only one, uh, one did not. Right. And obviously differing degrees, but I suppose that level of embeddedness and, and that attraction of selling to, to that audience right. was very important, right? A absolutely, and, and, and you know, this is where, as you know, the Super Bowl in the US, you had all these celebrities sort of uh, basically uh, touting cryptos as if they really knew what, what they were touting, and, and of course, a lot of people who bought in at that time have, uh, are sitting on big losses at this point. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, thanks, Professor Arajan, for joining uh, me today. And thank you, listener, for joining us as well. I hope you found the discussion both interesting and informative. As always, please feel free to f uh, follow, rate, and like the channel. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.